To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch buck? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Uh, I got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So this week on the podcast, I have on Fred Bohm. Um, I've really enjoyed getting to to meet and to know Fred Bohm. Um, he's really insightful and introspective. Uh, he, he's a Colorado resident, and um, he just finished up a, a high country Colorado elk hunt where both him and his buddy were successful, and we talk about that. But um, just just a great guy. He's an amazing photographer, and, and um, he, he's just a... A wealth of knowledge and I just love these in-depth conversations with with other hunters and and other hunters that are are always trying to improve and get better and just a great back and forth and I picked up some tips in this and and I'm sure you guys will too um, I, I broke this podcast up into a couple different parts. We went pretty long on it, um, which I really enjoy. I love that that long form communication and in the back and forth and I love how when somebody says something or tells a story or tells a little tidbit like it 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 gets it you remember something that that directly relates to it or applies to it so just a really good back and forth with fred i want to have him on the podcast again i really enjoyed it i'm sure you guys are going to enjoy it too sponsor for today's show is onyx um, Onyx, they just do an amazing job over there. They're they're constantly updating and putting in new layers, but it's it's a map system that you can get on your GPS or on your phone. You guys have heard me talk about it before, but it's just changed the game for me for scouting and hunting. Um, to to have it on your phone, and then you can save all your maps on your phone. So you're even if you don't have service, you still have access to these maps, and you can save them in different resolutions and and uh, higher quality, lower quality, you get more area. So I, I'm constantly saving maps every place I hunt, and then I can look at it and adapt in real time when I'm on the hunt. Uh, it's got topography, aerial imagery, uh, tons of layers. We have an Eastman's layer on there, which is great for studying which tags you want to put in for, but it, it, it's just a, a great tool that all Western hunters and Eastern hunters should be using too. I know for the whitetails, for you know, just getting uh, in an overview of the property you're hunting and where your stands are and things of that nature, it could be really beneficial. But um, I just absolutely love the company. Uh, I love their app. I love having it on my phone. Uh, it, it's just changed the way I hunt and scout. Uh, so thanks to those guys for support on the podcast. We sure appreciate it. Uh, Onyx, check them out. And with that, um, man, I'm just trying to get out these podcasts here. Busy this morning. I'm just back to work uh, getting concrete in. I did a bonsai trip last weekend for elk. Man, it's so fun to get into those bowls and hear them bugle. That has just got to be the most thrilling, exciting hunting there is. And, uh, God, I just saw the one out there, too. Um, three eye guards on one side and a sticker and big dark heavy horns and had some other six points in range but boy that that one um he just makes you want to hunt them all season long it's just so fun they're just fired up and i know all the guys are are starting to get excited about hunting i know dan's been out he was chasing a really good high country buck around and um i saw he got a bull early 
Gosh, I think he helicoptered in somewhere. I don't. I gotta check with Dan. I gotta get him back on the podcast here. I'd love talking with Dan on the podcast. So we'll get him back on. I know Scott Reekers. He's been. Uh, he found a couple good bucks there in Wyoming. He's uh, waiting for the rifle opener and trying to get those. So he's off all next week hunting and uh, wish him the best of luck and good hunting out there. And I'm uh, I'm heading out with my dad here this this next weekend which is in a couple days uh he's got a wyoming rifle tag it you know it's all about you know helping your buddies out and making them better too um gosh i'm just fired up to hunt elk right now but dad's got a good muley tag can't wait to get down there with him and try to turn up a good muley and see if we can't get him one and um we got uh see clint came out with us last weekend me and dan were hunting elk he was hunting antelope in the middle of the day and boy just killed a stomper we we found this buck all by himself and made a stock and a shot on it. And God, just it's like one of the best antelope I've ever seen on the ground. You know, just a really good one. So uh, psych for him. It's just um, it's hunting season. It's so much fun. I'm, um, yeah, I, working hard. Gosh, I'm pouring concrete all week. I'm just exhausted. <laughs> it's just been, um, you know, you got to take care of your responsibilities too. But uh, can't wait to get back in the field. The Hawaii guys are showing up next week, and so we'll be hunting elk around here. But um, just a really fun time of year. Um, so yeah, I hope you guys are getting out, uh, going on some amazing adventures. Um, I've already got just a ton of successful photos. Nothing makes me feel better than than when you guys are successful and you guys have put in the work and and always trying to learn and get better. So that's really fun for me to see. But um, let's get into this conversation with Fred Bohm. Um, great podcast. And uh, here we go, Eastman's Elevated. Okay, I'm live here with Fred Bohm. Um, Fred, thanks for being on. Um, I'm really excited to lay down this podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brian. Yeah, so we've been touching bases and we've been trying to make this work um, with our schedules. We're right in the middle of hunting season right now, and and you're just getting back from a successful hunt in your home state of Colorado, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just uh, kind of walked in the door the other day and, uh, you know, sorting through emails now like, you know, anybody else would be doing, getting back to work. But uh Jumped out, I think it was in for uh, uh, four days altogether, and uh, very rare, very rare actually put down, uh, uh, me and my hunting partner each put down a bull, so uh, the season ended a little bit quicker than I thought it would. Man, good for you guys. Yeah, that's a good early season bull, too. Um, yeah, in, in four days, that's a quick trip. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, I, I'm definitely one of those guys that it's like the last minute, you know, the last day, the last minute, I'll probably maybe get something. I've uh, been on a bit of a slump, you know, archery-wise. It's been a couple years since I put one down. So, uh, it, you know, I almost felt like I was out there scouting for later in the season when the uh, the elk would start talking. But uh, it just worked out. You know how that goes sometimes where you're kind of bummed and you're you're like, ah, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. And, the, you know, the turn of a dime, boom, there you go. And then uh, they, not going to say fell in my lap, but they kind of fell in my lap, you know. And we uh, and we were managed to take uh, – Managed to take two bulls within, I'd say, about 10 minutes, and they died uh, about 100 yards apart. Oh, that's wild, Fred. Uh, yeah, congratulations. That's awesome. I think, um, you know, public land bulls, especially those higher-pressured ones, um, I don't think they're given enough credit for how difficult they are. And and it is. It's just when, when, when preparation meets opportunity, you guys got the opportunity at these bulls and were able to close on them. But I think that's what a lot of hunting is, is just, you know, walking around the woods and trying to find game animals and trying to theorize, but 
and, and then at Spotnam and trying to make right on that opportunity, which you guys did. So were they talking at all while you were down there? Dead silent. And that was the killer. We were in the uh, the weekend before as well, and we knew it would be silent. I mean, this, I think, is one of the earlier years. Colorado, you know, how it kind of rotates a little bit, but this is one of the earlier times of the year that you're going to you're going to hunt these guys. And I mean, we didn't hear a peep. So we were just honestly what it turned up is get as high as we could. And then we were glass and almost treating them like muleys to see where they were at. Um, you know, it was it was little bachelor groups of bulls. Uh, the big bulls were nowhere to be seen yet. And, you know, there was and then towards the end, uh, the last couple of days of the hunt, there were a couple satellites getting in the mix, thinking that they were going to, you know, get the uh get the cows uh riled up or something but now no they they were dead silent so uh we had a bit of work you know we we this particular group we spotted from oh man i think miles away and we had just blown out another group um kind of frustrated at this point so we saw these guys like you know what patience let's take our time let's get over to the spot right at evening and you know just when they're the sun's off of them and they're thinking about getting up to move around a little bit. And we're just going to do a little bit of uh, just real easy bugles just to kind of, you know, peculiar their interest, maybe rake some trees a little bit. Um, and that's kind of what we did is we just got in as close as we could. So, you know, essentially with spot and stalk, I think we got, oh, I don't know, maybe 80, 80 to 100 yards from where they were. And then just let out just a soft bugle. You know, we didn't hear much. And then just sat and waited. And then raked the tree a little bit, sat and waited. And sure enough, one comes out, pops out towards me. Uh, but at this point, he's, I think the closest I had him is 108 yards. So that wasn't going to happen. And he kind of knew I was there. Um, so I threw out a little chirp. And uh, my hunting partner ran back and started cow calling and this guy just took to it and came straight in gave me a perfect broadside shot at a very comfortable distance and uh yeah managed to manage to hit him and ran off and just laid down to die and we're not cheering or anything else we knew there was one other one sitting there so within i guess maybe 10 minutes yeah he popped out and uh hunting partner had a perfect shot at him and bam hit him and i don't think that one ran more than three steps it not sure exactly. It was a good shot, but I mean, it just put them right down. So, uh, yeah, within 10 minutes, we had two bulls down. Oh, that's wild. And and wild to drop an elk in three steps, too. You know, it's wild when oh, you can drop them in sight. But yeah, three steps, it must have just switched them off. Just heart and lungs are the whole deal and just put them down. Uh, yeah, it, um, it did. It just it just blew through the shoulder there. And I, I mean, it just I, it was almost like a rifle shot. Just broke them down and laid down and died like it was flipped upside down. It was crazy. I've never seen anything like it, to tell you the truth. Man, good for you guys. Well, you sure played it right, like spotting them from so far away, and then it sounds like you bedded them in a specific piece of timber or something like yep. that. Yep. Yep. A piece of timber in between that, you know, the typical that at that time of year, we usually use the abbey shoots. So he was in the timber and, you know, in the abbey shoots and whatnot. And uh, yeah, perfect location. Oh, wild. And then um, you got over there and set up kind of in that late afternoon, evening when those bulls are going to be getting on their feet again and coming out to feed and getting close. And then what was your wind like? Had the shadows hit that drainage where they were pulling down or did you have strong directionals or what was your wind like? 
Well, the wind had been, uh, you know, beating us up all uh, all weekend. So, you know, we, we got in, and that's exactly why we waited towards the evening, you know, to see if we could get those thermals to switch. Luckily, there was a storm kicking in, so everything was cooling down a little bit earlier than we had thought. So it, it really benefited us. And the prevailing seemed to be going that direction, but you know how storms could be, and it could get kind of swirly. But by the time we got in there, that yeah, the um, the thermals changed perfect, and I mean we that's the only reason we got them, of course. You know, if that wind changed on us for a second, and you know, it, the way it had been going all week, I was just waiting to feel that on the back of my neck. But you know, <laughs> lucked out. You know, some that, and there's the luck part of it. You know, you can't you can't really predict those swirls, so it it just it worked out perfect for us. Man, the wind has killed more stocks than anything oh. else out there. Is it like in, and it does. It almost feels like luck a lot of times, especially with the way, you know, mountain winds travel through drainages and basins and, and all of a sudden you can be getting close and you could have a good wind all day long and you start getting inside a hundred yards and like you say, you feel that switch on the back of your neck and it's busted before it you know, before you ever even have a chance. But that that wind is just so key to killing bulls and bucks and in any way Western game out there, really. It's everything. It is. It is. I mean, you could get away with a lot, especially with elk, I would say, with noise. Muleys, eh. <laughs> those things are so switched on. There's not a sense on them that you could you could trick, but uh, at least in my experience. But uh, bulls, you know, you could be a little bit noisy because they could think it's another bull or cow over there. Um, even sight sometimes you could get away with more than you would uh, you would think. But, yeah, you're 100% right. That They smell you. They're done. They're out of there. When that wind helps a ton with sound on muleys, and you know, I think mm -hmm. that's the key to my success this year was just a good wind. Like I got up in the high country in Nevada, and I tried to hunt these bucks. You know, you got to hunt bucks where you find them, and I found all these bucks, but they were on the lee wind side, so the directionals mm -hmm. would blow hard against like the west side of the mountains, and the bucks were on the east. And that top third of the mountain, it was a nightmare for wind. Oh, yeah. It just keeps swirling over there, and you you try to play thermals down there, but it just switched so much and you know i got busted like two different plays i had made where you think you got a pretty consistent win and it just didn't work out but then you go to like colorado and i found them like on the the strong wind side you know where the wind was blowing against it and you know i sat in range of the buck i shot for three hours inside 25 yards with just a oh. steady wind he had no chance to win me and finally got up and i you know made a 34 yard shot on him you oh, know but that man. that wind is just everything and like i think if you're sitting being really patient on a buck and waiting for your play like i think that's the number one factor like it doesn't matter how good a spot that buck's in if you got a shifty wind or you don't have a strong wind it isn't worth it just wait you know and same thing for bulls like i'm getting ready to to hunt elk here in montana Man, I'm just going to live and die by that wind even more so than i have in the past it's just so important to kill in those things it is, and it's the hardest thing to do is that patience. You know, you want – it's just – I don't know what it is about us. I mean maybe it's just <laughs> – maybe it's the generation, and, you know, we just want everything right now. And I find that a constant battle within myself. You know, I always want – I'm like, oh, just push this. Make this happen. I want to get this kill, and it's and that is the worst thing you could do, just sitting there and letting it, letting it play out on its own, letting the animal do what it's naturally going to do, get up when it wants to get up, not – throw rocks or force it or oh, I could get a little bit closer, but just sit there and be patient. That's the only time I get success. And how I can't register that in my brain every single time <laughs> I'm out there, like, hey, look back. When were you successful? When you were patient. And, you know, there's a time to be aggressive, but 
I think aggressive's getting you there, but then once you're in that position, just let it play out. Oh, you're so spot on, Fred. It is. Like I have this saying, patience kills the buck, you know, and it's yep. it's all the way around. It's when you get in range, being patient, you know, letting that buck stand and walk out instead of you trying to get in there and try to get the angle on him. And you're almost trying to force it and you're exposing yourself to his sight line, you know, to where you can get caught. But patience of letting him walk out, patience waiting for the stock and then patience on the win. And that was like that. Uh, I harvested a Nevada buck and I betted these bucks. I got around. I had a good wind and I started moving in, but it was that morning wind where it was maybe three miles an hour and it was just so quiet in that sage that I could hear every sound I was making. And yep. finally, I looked back at the guy I was with. And I was like, man, we're not going to kill this buck. We got to back out. We got to wait for the afternoon winds to come up, which those directionals usually get stronger in the afternoon. And so we backed out and watched that buck for two, three hours. And then those afternoon winds come up. And then I was able to sneak right into bow range and stick a perfect arrow in them. But you're right. Like us guys, we have to learn that lesson over and over and over. And even guys like you that know better and guys like me that know better, I I still make mistakes every season and have to relearn that lesson, but I'm really going to try to imprint it in my brain for the rest of this season and and seasons to come because you're right. Patience just kills that buck. Yep. It's, it's a constant battle. Yeah. And I I don't know how to fix it. You know, that's the funny part. It's like, it's like I could see next season exactly what I'm going to do. And it's going to take a a bull to blow out or, you know, a, a buck and then just be like, what did you learn last year? Come on, buddy. You know, it's almost like I got I got to tattoo this on my arm or something or in the back of my bow. And you just have like settle down, calm down, take your time, patience. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's everything. Tough. Yeah, when it's not black and white either, like there is no true answer. It's all just based upon your instincts and your judgment, past experience, and you know whether or not you can kill that buck. And I, I think you know it, it's a good trait that I have that I think I can kill everything I see. You know, I think I can kill every deer I spot, every elk I spot because I'll travel mountain ranges to go get on them. And just like your bulls in Colorado, like you guys traveled a great distance to go get on those bulls because you thought you could kill them, and so. There is a need for that aggression and that sure. – and I think you know, part of the reason I'm so successful is because I keep trying, my perseverance. Like I, I keep looking for the next stock and then I'll, I'll go make that play no matter how far it is. But it, it, like you have to intertwine that with your patience, uh, like just knowing when it's your time to go and make that play and knowing when that's a low percentage play. I, I think I'm going to wait for a better opportunity. And the more you sit on an animal, it's amazing the mistakes they'll make and the bad positions they'll put yeah. themselves in but you know there too i've been too patient on animals where i find like this this giant 220 inch muley and i'm so scared to screw it up that i sit and i watch that buck for days on end and finally on the fourth day i make a stock and i blow that buck out or something it's like man what have i been doing for four days you know so there there is like a it's a fine line i think between being patient too patient being aggressive like and it's just trying to find that right mix to to find success i think I agree. And the thing is, it always comes down to it. I don't know any other thing I've done, any other sport or whatever you want to call it, where it's so much like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. You know, in your brain, you're looking at the situation. If you blow it, like, oh, I should have been more patient. Or if you're too patient, like, ah, I should have been more aggressive. I should have just got in there and made the shot and, you know, at least given it a chance. And so I think as hunters, it's just constantly grinding on us. Like, uh, you know, we're always debating it because we, you know, you blow the opportunity. It's so black or white. You either got him or you didn't. Well, 
if you didn't get them, then you should have done the exact opposite thing you did. You know, so it's 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 a very a lot of inner term like a lot of inner turmoil with it. I would say. <laughs> yeah, that that so hits home like that. Hindsight's twenty twenty, and you're right. If you mess up a stock, well, then you should have waited and been more patient. If you right. were more patient, and then you the buck ended up moving out of the country, and you never got a chance at him, you think, gosh, I should have made a play. He was in a decent exactly. spot. So yeah, that hindsight's twenty twenty, and I think you know you got to have confidence in your skills. You know, you try to learn from your mistakes, or you you learn from it if you don't get the deer, but but you also you have to put it out of your mind too. If you miss something or you blow a stock, like it's easy to let that just crush your willpower back there. It's yeah. easy to let it crush your spirit. And instead, you got to just chalk it up to experience and go, you know, maybe I should have done this or maybe I should have done that. And then you make that same saying as, well, hindsight's twenty twenty. I can see it crystal clear now that I messed that up. Next time, I'm not going to do so bad, but I'm not going to dwell on it either. And I'm not going to exactly. beat myself up over it. It's like, well, it's it's time to go find another one and go create another opportunity. Well, that's it. And we also got to remember why we're out there. We're out there to have fun. You know, you could beat yourself up and get miserable about it. But like, you know, we're doing this as a, with our vacation time. You know, so you, you dang well better enjoy it. So, uh, yeah, and just not take ourselves too seriously. Everybody screws up. I screw up more often, you know, than I, I would say than the average. And but just don't get, exactly as you said, just don't get down on yourself and just keep going. The next one you're going to learn, be a little bit more patient or, you know, wait out that wind or whatever it may be that you just learned on that last one. And then hopefully each time and each season, you're just, you know, it's less and less frustrating. You're not banging your head up against walls much. So, yeah, one um, like like you stated, uh, failure is a prerequisite of bow hunting. Like you are gonna fail yeah. a lot, no matter how good you are. Like you might think you fail more than the average. I think I fail more than the average guy. Like you you just it's a prerequisite to bow hunting, and the animals are gonna win a lot of the times. They they just have such great instincts. They're so switched on. Like you know they're they're meant to survive and have evolved from thousands of years of avoiding mountain lions, which are way sneakier than we could ever pretend to be. You know, and yeah. so like you're not gonna win every battle but hopefully you win the war in the end you make smart decisions you know you don't let one decision play on the next one like you just start fresh and and you're right like um you can't be too driven you can't be too hard on yourself it's our vacation it's our it's our passion and we're lucky that we have passion in our lives but being out there in the wilderness like it's not fun all the time like you have to grind at it but it's fun overall and it's fun to challenge ourselves and so you're right like immersing yourself in that backcountry like we have to enjoy the the entire experience um, because it is our vacation and it is our release in the like you get home and then you can't stop thinking about the hunt you were just yep. on no matter how how grueling it was, no matter how tough it was, you just can't stop thinking about how much fun it was to be back there in the backcountry. And so I think you're right. I think it's really important to be in the moment, immerse yourself in the challenge at hand, chasing a bull elk, chasing a, a mule deer, and enjoy it. And like when I fail on a stock too, like I, I try to take the good from it as well. Like I learn lessons from it and try to get better and what I could have done different. But I also go, man, that you know, that was worth the twelve hour drive to Colorado or that was worth this hike in. And I always say that's worth the price of admission because what I'm there for is that thrilling close encounter. And when I get that thrilling close encounter, whether I get that buck or bull or not, like like it's exhilarating. Like I I love it. And so I try to just go, man, was that fun? That that's what I'm here for. That's what I love to do. And you know what? I still got a tag in my pocket and I still got a bow in my hands. Like it's just time to to keep going. You know? Excuse me. <coughs> 
but yeah, it's just um like like just in enjoying it from start to finish, immersing yourself in the journey. Um, like I think that's so important in hunting, as as so much of us get so driven nowadays. I agree, and you know, like just be grateful. You know, there's not if you think about us here in the u.s i mean how many people get to do this for fun there's still people in the world that are doing this because they need to survive you know and and this is something that god we got such a great system and we're able you know hunt these animals and they're so well maintained through our uh you know department of wildlife and all that it's it's we're really blessed with what we have here and if you could you know just sit back and think like it's pretty cool that i'm sitting out here that i'm in this back country that a lot of other countries don't have, you know, it's either developed up or the animals aren't there anymore or people have things they have to do with their time. That's not just recreational. So you sit back and you think about that and like, it, I don't know, it kind of changes that perspective and, you know, allows you to enjoy everything out there. It allows you just to enjoy being in the woods and and have what you have and have maybe a supportive family that's allowing you to do this or or like you said, the passion. There's some people with no passion and it's like we're pretty blessed at what we get to do. Oh, we're so blessed. Yeah, um, absolutely. Just, and to have the, the, the time off work. I mean, you think even, even um, you know, you think of other countries and you think of our country and the public lands we get to hunt. But then even think of this country and prior generations, you know, to where to where hunting was feeding the family and, and there wasn't as much enjoyment in it or, or recreation in it that that, you know, it, it was to, to go out and get some meat for your family. But, you know, like like my grandfather and probably yours, I mean, worked multiple jobs, oh, his yeah. fingers to the bone, six, seven days a week. Like those guys would work themselves to death just to put food on the table, just to support their family. And for us to, you know, to be able to, to pay our bills and, and to make, you know, you don't even have to make good money. But they say if you make $30,000, you're the top 1% of the world's population yeah. as far as income. <laughs> like like most of us are the top 1% of the world's income. We can pay our bills, put food on our table, you know, have a roof over our heads, and then have this free time to go recreate in these wild public lands where you can have these adventures, like as a common blue-collar, you know, bow hunter, a blue-collar exactly. hunter. Like that's absolutely amazing. So you're right. Like a lot of it is just perspective and and uh it, it's realizing the positive you have in your life and then embracing it you know and uh, i think that's what's so great about hunting and it helps yeah and for me it definitely helps me keep the pity parties to a minimum when in the woods when i'm like oh you can't believe i didn't get that elk and i'm like are you really complaining you're sitting in this beautiful setting so what you blew an elk out who cares there's how many more in the woods go get after it, you big baby you know so like having that perspective definitely helps yeah, absolutely. Well, um, so successful on your Colorado elk already. Like, what's up next for you, Fred? Um, well, I got a, I lucked out and got an antelope here in Colorado as well. So that was that started on the fifteenth for us. Um, never happens to me. I keep this is made hopefully a, a new trend for me. Um, but got one opening day out in the plains of Colorado. So uh, that started the season off and then jumped into this. And then, you know, now it was, I was, I had planned, uh, about a nine day or at the end of the month for Colorado elk. So I think what's going to end up happening, we might get up to, um, Idaho and check out their OTC tag, uh, since I got the time off already. And then, um, and then I'll be getting into some whitetail. You know, I usually do South Dakota, Nebraska, um, wasn't able to pull a muley tag this year, but for uh, second choice, I was able to pull a whitetail tag here in Colorado, 
And so that'll kind of that'll take care of my October, November. I do a good bit of upland game with my dogs as well. Um, but then once December, January hits, it'll be uh, Arizona. Get down there and chase uh, chase some muleys in the mountains there. And uh, when it's freezing cold here, get down there and uh, and getting some heat and hunting a t-shirt. Oh man, um, nothing better like that that Arizona desert. We touched on it just a little bit before we started the podcast, but yeah, you head down to Arizona, over the counter tags down there, yep. and and you immerse yourself in that desert down there. Isn't that fun when it's so cold in these you know these northern western states, Colorado, Montana, Wyoming, to just disappear down there and soak in some heat? And I, I usually hunt coos down there. It sounds like you focus on mule deer down there. Yeah, and I've done both. I've I've gotten the coos down there. Um, you know, just depending on my mood, what I want to do. If I want to get in the deep deserts, uh, you know, where those uh, you get the desert mule deer and these mythical creatures. I mean, you don't see many. I think we've discussed that, but you there there could be some big boys down there, and you're just you're not going to see a soul. So that's kind of my one trip out of the year. I just go down. I turn everything off. I unplug. You know, tell the family I'm fine, and you know they know where I'm at, and I just kind of go in there and just you know you, there's Nothing more silent than the desert. There's just nothing out there, and it's just it's it's desolate. And I love everything about it. And you're just kind of wandering around and uh, looking for these giant mule deer. We're super tough to hunt. You know, it's, it's that same thing you had talked about with the wind. The wind is everything. With uh, I, it, more when it comes down to just keeping the sound down because everything's crunchy. It's like cornflakes out there. Um, so I'll do that. Or, you know, it's, if you get above the Magyan Rim, you could get into some of the mountains. And uh, even in December, January, it's not that cold up there. You know, you can get some snow, but you, most of the time I'm hunting in 60 degree weather. And their OTC tag is just it's phenomenal. It, it's a good part of the state. You know, it's not obviously you're not doing the strip or the Kayabob or anything like that. But I mean, for me, I, you, I can hunt that every single year. And I can't tell you how many deer I see. I think it's just I think it's a phenomenal tag. Man, um, yeah, it's great. It's like um, there's so many great over-the-counter opportunities or low-point opportunities, and and that's what I like to hunt as well. I like to hunt these units that that don't take a whole bunch of years to draw, that I can go in there year after year, every other year, whatever the case, and just learn it. And I think – uh, you know, more of harvesting these trophy animals. And definitely if you draw a good unit, you got a high chance at, at, at harvesting a, a trophy animal. But really, I think what, what trophy animal to harvest them consistently is to sharpen your skills, whether that's your, your hunting skill to be able to find these, you know, next level mule deer or bulls or antelope or whatever it is. And then it's also like sharpening those skills, your stalking skills. So you've got a lot of confidence in your skills. So when you do get a chance at one of those giant muleys, you know you can put yourself in range or at least you got a good chance at it. And then, you know, you've shot at enough of them. You know how to keep your calm and you know how to pick your spot, execute your shot and make a good shot. But I, I think, you know, there there's more to – to killing a consistent trophy like that, I think is learning how to hunt these units where you can get tags, and especially in today's day and age where where tags are tougher, tougher, tougher and tougher to get. So it sounds like you're hunting quite a bit of over the counter. With sounds like you're going to go to Idaho here in a little bit, and then down to Arizona. Um, I just think that's so cool, Fred. I think that's the way to go to improve hunting skill. I agree. It's extending your season. You know, for Colorado here, if you're doing muleys and and elk. I mean, it's, it's September, you know, a little bit at the end of August, but if that's all you're doing, that's you're hunting one month out of the year and you're not hunting the full month, you know, obviously. So whatever time you could get off then, 
luckily I could get a good amount of time off with work. So I, I really like to try to extend the season and, you know, whether that be whitetail, you know, getting into that rut in November, that's a lot of fun, but yeah, it's exactly that. It's that, um, just experience, just getting out there and hunting as much as you can. If you want to be a good mountain biker, you mountain bike, you want to be a good rock climber, you rock climber. If you want to be a good hunter, you hunt, you know, I, I could sit here and read about it all I want. I could sit here and watch YouTube endlessly and try to hone my skills. And that's great. You know, that, that definitely does help for a certain extent, but just being out there doing it. I mean, I find that's with anything in life, you know, you want to be a good writer, you got to write like you just you you have to do it a lot. And, and there's a ton of opportunities extended. Like, what was it last year? I mean, in the spring, I was in New Zealand for three weeks, um, you know, did a trip out there when there was nothing going on out here. I took the family to Hawaii for a month, you know, and luckily I'm able to work off my computer so I could kind of anywhere as long as I have an Internet connection, I could work. But we did Hawaii for a month and hunted there for every single day for a month. Like you, there's ways of doing it to extend it where it, it becomes a year round sport. It doesn't just have to you know, be September, October and you're done. Um, yes, experience is the best teacher. You are so right about that. Yeah, you want to be good at hunting, hunt a bunch, and and you're right. Like there's, you can shorten your learning curve by by reading podcasts, you know, uh, uh, watching YouTube. Like there's definitely information you can take in there, but there's no better teacher than experience. And the best hunters out there are hunting the most, and and you can do it on a on a blue collar budget too. You you get sure. so many weekends, and if you can add a a Monday or a Friday, and you know we. Don't we don't all get the opportunity to go hunt, you know, doll sheep or stone sheep or you know, that's it's out of my tax bracket. But what I do get to hunt is I you know, I get to hunt like this lower forty eight and me as as well get to hunt Hawaii, like I've got some connections there and I go there every year in Alaska and you just find all these cool things and then with like the spring bear season, you know, you can pick up so many days of hunting in the spring bear season. But yeah, if if it's what you love to do and you want to get better at it, like you try to extend your season and and that doesn't mean that you have to take off three months solid. It, it just means like you, you got to plan these hunts that happen in different months where you can kind of find that vacation time or be a weekend warrior to get as many days of field as you can. And that's the best teacher you can have. Exactly. And you could do them cheap. And that's the beauty of it. I mean, like, okay, a stone sheep hunt. All right. That's a different thing. You know, I mean, you're paying for an exorbitant amount for a tag and you know, if you're required to have an outfitter and all that, that gets into a totally different area. But some of these things are people are like, wow, how do you, I mean, like, how do you afford New Zealand? Well, it really comes down to you find a cheap plane ticket. Everything else over there, I mean, like, there's no tags. You know, you go over there, you're camping the whole time. So you got to rent a car, you know, food, and you could do it relatively on the cheap. Hawaii, as you know, like you said, if you get a couple connections over there or, you even rent a place for a little bit, you know, the, the tag's cheap, a hundred bucks, and you could hunt just about every day and any time of the year. So there's ways of doing it where, you know, at first it may sound like, oh yeah, that's just for the rich people. And I'm like, well, believe me, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not one of those rich people. It's just, it's, you do a little research, you, you, you put the time in, you do it, you know, far enough in advance and uh, you can make it a reality relatively cheap. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And just like you're saying, Hawaii, there's also public ground over there and you rent a rig and yeah, you can rent a house and bring the family with you. You know, you can also camp out on the beaches there too. Uh, totally. So, yep. so the, yeah, there's different ways to go about it. And they, yeah, like my, you know, I never get a hotel, like lower 48, 
you know, wherever I'm at, I never get a hotel. It's just my rule. I just, I yep. got, Agreed. you know, I, I sleep in the back of my truck or under my canopy or I just find a place to sleep, but I'm always trying to do it on the cheap. And it's amazing what you can have these adventures for, you know, traveling or there's so many great adventures in the lower 48 too. So oh, yeah. many different species like uh, your, your antelope hunt um, opening day. Was that a bow hunt as well, Fred? It was, yes. Gosh, congratulations, man. Those antelope are no easy feat with a bow and arrow. You're having a good year. You know, I'm on a roll, so I just want to keep finding tags and, you know, see if I could ride this thing out. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's bound to come to a, an abrupt halt eventually, but um, hopefully a couple more animals before that happens. But Yeah, yeah. May, maybe, maybe not. You're making the right moves, you know. It's like all that experience just goes into your instincts, and your instincts – you know, they're what dictate, you know, when you stalk and how you stalk and how quiet you are, not rushing in the end, executing your shot. So maybe you just turn the corner and you're getting a little bit more positive luck, which always helps out. But uh, you're having a heck of a season. Yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. There's no doubt about it. So I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. And nothing better than that antelope meat, huh? Oh, man, it is good. And they're just such a fun animal because – the way I see it, at least out here, like there could be times with elk, like it could be frustrating. You're not seeing them every day necessarily. Um, you could blow one shot and that might be it for the season for you. I feel with antelope, no matter what state I hunt them in, it's you get multiple stalks a day. So if you want to talk about uh, an animal to build experience with, their eyes are, you know, outrageous. They, they say it's the same as your binoculars, you know, like your 10 X's. So you, I, you're going to blow stalks on these guys, but you're going to learn so much because, you know, you could get two, three stalks in, you know, if you're in a good place, but a day. And, I mean, you want to talk about building experience and learning animal habit and, and uh, you know, stalking for sure. And, I mean, you're going to be crawling more than you're walking with those guys. There's no doubt about it. I, I don't remember the last, like, I come out more sore from antelope hunting from crawling miles than I do, you know, sometimes with an elk hunt. So, yeah, they're they're a fun animal. I look so forward to that tag every year. Yeah, that uh, that crawling, like constantly ho holding those yoga poses as you're going. Yep. Nothing will make you more sore, <laughs> and nothing's more controlled. Or even just stalking slowly, like trying to to slowly place your footfalls down and and bending down and crouching. Like that wears on a guy. Like you wouldn't think it would. You think the exertion of chasing elk mile after mile would wear you out, but that stalking it does wear on you. But you're so spot on as far as gaining experience. Like nothing will will further your skill set more than a high opportunity hunt an antelope are a high opportunity hunt but they're really switched on they're tough to kill with their vision like you say yep. you know they can they can wind you and uh you know they can hear you coming but their vision in that open terrain and it really teaches you what you can get away with and what you can't and and so you can transpose that in your other hunting and like you say elk hunting you may get a few stocks a season antelope you may get a few stocks a day you know and so yeah. you get to further your learning curve so much quicker and the same thing you probably found in hawaii too you get so much experience and yep. those axes are so switched on out there and you get so much experience too like like shooting and executing a good shot getting a good range like all those finer workings of harvesting an animal but that high experience the other thing like i did when i was starting out when I, you know, I, I didn't have the means or I didn't have the knowledge to 
to travel to some of these places like Hawaii and things. As I as I've gotten older, I've kind of you know learned and put the connections together and been able to get out there. And you know I'm I'm just more adventurous. I'm willing to go someplace and fail. But I used to hunt um, white-tailed does around here and still do. Like they'll give us five over-the-counter doe tags and stalking oh, wow. a white-tailed doe. Um, you know, that's the same thing. It'll sharpen your skills so quick. And then, and then like, just like an antelope an axis or a white tailed doe, you can get everything right. And then that thing will jump your string as soon as you let your arrow go. Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. But, oh, um, that's, that's exact. That's the truth right there. I mean, and it's, it's, there's tons of opportunities, you know, and all these States and, and you can really do this pretty close a year round. So it's, it's fun. Oh, it's so fun, isn't it? It's um like we were talking about earlier, like you just you you find this passion and we're so lucky to have passion in our life, something that makes us be better humans, you know, where we're we're working out all the time and and we're committing ourselves to this to to archery and practice and and uh you know, we're dedicating ourselves to it and we show discipline and 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 then I think on these hunts, you know, you're able to reflect and you sure appreciate your family for supporting you and your your job and I think you come back refreshed and you know, how you do one thing is how you do everything. So, you yeah. You can't just be a good hunter and be a bad husband or a, a bad father, you know, a bad at your job like that transposes in all of your life. It just teaches you discipline and to work hard at things. But that passion is so important in life, I think. And we get it out of our, our hunting, or at least I do. I agree. And, you know, I think that's I've, I've had that as a kid, you know, no matter what sport I was in. And it's something, you know, I'm trying to teach my kids now. They're they're real young. So obviously I'm not pushing them anywhere. But uh it is is to have something to to live for and to push for. Like, I don't know if I would go to the gym every single day if I didn't have hunting. And you know, and, and I'll caveat this: I understand there's there's you don't have to. You know, there's definitely that side of it. I know it's a big thing with the, uh, you know, everybody being this athlete in in hunting. But I mean, it gives me something to drive for. It gives me like, well, if I'm going to do this insane hunt in the back country i have to get up i have to get out i have to train and it, it does you know and it gives you some kind of drive in life where if you're just like eh, get up today i'm just gonna work and I, I don't know it's not a life i would want to live so i i agree with you i'm glad i have something like this or anything in life that would you know that push you like this i used to i mean i was a huge rock climber and i mean that forced me to have a very healthy lifestyle or whatever it is in life that you know pushes you towards that healthy lifestyle i think it's a great thing Oh yeah, you're you're spot on. Yeah, that's what I try to teach my kids too is is passion. Find out what you love to do and then really apply yourself to it, you know? Like like really work hard at it. And the harder you work, the the better you'll get at it and and the more enjoyment you'll see out of it too. And you're right, like working out, you don't have to work out to be a great hunter. There's so many facets that go into being a great hunter and some guys can can push really hard when they're on the hunt, but I sure think it gives me an edge. I think a lot of the animals I harvested are because of the fitness I'm in. And, and two, like fitness is directly tied to your mindset. It's directly exactly. tied to how you feel, pushing over the next mountain, not getting negative. Like you you, you, t- you put yourself through these trials and tribulations through training where you toughen yourself. You find this mental strength, this mental toughness, and then you're able to draw on that on these hunts. And then once you find some success on these hunts, like you just have so much to draw from. So when you when you get to a bad spot or, or down on something and an archery will take you to your highest highs, it'll also take you to your lowest lows, missing your target animal, blowing a stock or whatever it is. But you've trained yourself. You know how to pick yourself up out of that and, and to keep pushing on. And I, I, I think that that fitness is directly tied to your mental strength, which is directly tied to your success. 
I agree. And I think that's what a lot of people miss when they're like, ah, you don't need to work out. I'm like, well, it's not necessarily the physical side. They're not seeing the correlation by putting yourself through some, you know, hell workout at the gym or something like that. How that's making you mentally tough. Like when you're in there, you're like, you know what? I'm just going to leave. There's no animals here. Or, you know, oh, there's a bad storm coming. I'm just going to get out. But like, you know, you could you could draw back on that, that hard workout or that insane race you did or whatever it was. You're like, I've already been through something tough. You know, I've been through something way tougher than what I'm doing right now. It helps you stay in there. And I think that might be if I could, it, you know, it, I get questions, you know, here and there. And like if that's one thing I could I could relate to or, you know, hand over to somebody else would be just stay in there. You know, if you allot yourself 10 days for a hunt, unless there is an extreme circumstance and then make sure you're, you know, that extreme circumstance is extreme, like, you know, death, you know, death of the family, but get everything else lined up before you go on that hunt. Make sure you're good at work. Make sure you're good at home and, you know, make sure everything is set up. And if you say you're staying in the 10 days, you're staying in the 10 days. And I can't tell you how many times, cause I am that last day kill, you know, that's what I kill most <laughs> of the time. It's how many times just staying in has been the single thing that has made me successful. Oh yeah. And, and there's nothing like, and, and you do have to, to fail to learn from it, but there's nothing worse than coming from home from a hunt early, like planning your days Ugh. and then getting home a couple days early. And, and gosh, you just at the bottom of the bottom, you're just thinking, man, why am I not still up there? And, yep. and, um, you're, you're right. If you plan for 10 days, you, you stick it out and you stay out there and, and you're going to be better for it and because of it and also like you're going to get back there it's going to be tougher than you think it is and your mind is going to play tricks on you like i've been mm -hmm. on enough of these hunts like all of a sudden your brain will create problems back there oh, you yeah. know you'll start worrying about work even though you've got everything taken care of or you'll start worrying about and missing your family or getting homesick and and, and you know you've prepared everybody that you're going to be gone your, your family's taken care of your work's taken care of like like everything's been taken care of you've you've done it before you've left like you can't let your mind get the better of you you just got to stick with it and, and your mood will you know it, it it goes up and down like you're going to have low points and you're going to have high points but just sticking it out gives yourself the chance and the opportunity to be successful and it's amazing how you just keep pushing and and i think like like you said the 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 best quality a backcountry hunter can have is perseverance and it's day after day and also that like that physical conditioning what that teaches you is it teaches you discipline like getting yourself up every yep. single day to go out and get your run or after work when you're tired to go get your run like you make yourself go do it and i think it's the same thing in the backcountry where you make yourself keep going you make yourself see what's over the next hill you make yourself stay in for the for the next couple days because you've planned it but that's the key to success all right that's a wrap with fred um yeah gosh just a great conversation back and forth with them there's just so many tidbits and, and information you can pick up and uh we get into it here on the second one too about um fred you know he takes a takes a journal with him and writes everything down man i just think that's so important to just um learning all the information and also retaining all the information some of these thoughts that you have ideas you have when you're in the field or you know you you, you kind of adapt to the situation you're given you know remembering 
all, all those struggles you had and and um, remembering you know what you did to be successful and and uh, you know just writing all those things down you know to get a higher understanding of the wind like taking notes of that wind and what it's doing every day and each canyon and ridge tops and thermals and directionals but um, really cool. Second part of this conversation is just as good as the first part. Um, so yeah, I just really enjoyed uh, meeting Fred and getting to know him. He's just a great guy, and and we'll definitely have him on the podcast again. Sponsor for today's show was Onyx. Um, Onyx has just changed the way I scout and hunt. I say it all the time, but just an amazing app. You can get it on your phone. You can save your maps to where even if you don't have service, it still works. And, and then there's just so many other features and overlays. Like the more time you spend on it, the more you learn. Like I, it's great now. You can send waypoints to a buddy. We use that in Alaska. I'd, I'd send those guys waypoints, and I'm gonna use it again here as I'll be uh, muley hunting with my dad um, in Wyoming right when these Hawaii boys show up. So they got a couple days of hunting before I get here. So um, I'll send them a bunch of points on Onyx, you know, just um, starter points. They have an antelope tag too. So I'll give them some antelope spots and, and then some elk spots where I've been seeing them. And um, so we'll get them all set up, but it's all done through that app. I mean, without that, I don't know how I would send them those points or they'd be able to navigate to some place they've never been. So, um, just an amazing app, and thanks to those guys for sponsoring the podcast. And with that, yeah, just um, hunting like a madman, um, just burning the candle at both ends here, just uh, trying to get work done and responsibility, make volleyball games with my daughters and, and be here for my family, and also just try to hunt like a madman. Um, man, do I want a, a good bull this season, and, and I just got to be hunting them, and I know a lot of my time's coming later, which is just killing me as they're they're all fired up right now, and I'll, I'll hunt with the Hawaii boys coming up here local in the valley, and that'll be good, but um, I got a special tag as well, which the special tag, I can still hunt here in the valley, but I can hunt a bunch of different units there and um it's it's new to me this season and just already getting into good bulls and and they're bugling really hard and you know you're able to chase them um I, I just wish I could clone myself and be more places at once, you know, help help out everybody on their hunts and also be out chasing those things. But like I say, I'm going to get my time later. Uh, you know, I've got uh, that great cameraman that's been with me on a couple trips at Logan Summers. Um, film Nevada, photograph Colorado for me, and then he's going to go on this elk hunt with me. And he's been elk hunting himself here. I've been getting updates, and they've been into some good bulls as well. But, um, yeah, I just can't wait to get after these bulls. Um, man, oh, man, I want to get a good one down. It's just what thrilling, exciting hunting. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing what the guys at Eastman's turn up. I know Dan's already killed a nice six-point. And um, he's been chasing them hard, and and uh, I know Scott Reekers is getting his time next week. He's going to go chase a uh, big Wyoming high country bucks with his rifle, so pulling for him. And um, I know Eastman's are going to start to get out. I know Ike was out chasing antelope a little bit. It was a fun podcast I did with him on antelope. I sure enjoyed that. And uh, yeah, the guys are just getting after it. I'm getting after it. I just love hunting season. I. I do need to quit my job during hunting season, though. Oh, my gosh. I just, gosh, I just need, you know, if you just have more time. But, you know, we all just have responsibilities we have to do in, in uh, real life and things. But, um, yeah, I just, I just, you know, 
I get a ton of time. I got nothing to complain about. I just I just wish I had more. When it's right now and it's hunting season and the bulls are bugling, it kills me to be pouring concrete day in, day out. But it's just what I got to do. I got a great life and I get a bunch of days hunting and um, it's good to get a break too. And it, it's, you know, you... Um, it's, it's so important to me to be spending good quality time with my family as well. So we just have to mix and match and, um, it's just fun and I'm just trying to enjoy it to the fullest. And I am, oh my gosh, am I having fun? Um, just been a riot so far and I can't wait here for these, you know, these next couple tags just to keep hunting, keep spending time in the mountains, keep challenging myself, putting miles on. Um, I, I get a little break and I'm back in the hills running, you know, like I, I get done from one of these hunts, like even this weekend, you know, we, you know, pouring concrete before I left and then, you know, work Friday and then leave after work Friday, drive all night to get there. It's like seven, eight hours. And then, gosh, I'm, I'm only hunting for like two days, like just a Saturday, Sunday, and then driving late back Sunday to get home and then up early Monday morning to where like, I just like uh wearing myself ragged but i still ran monday i still ran tuesday like i just keep these legs going just keep firing i i feel great and it feels great to be wearing myself out too but um yeah just gotta gotta keep going and the time i do have i gotta make the most of it and uh, it's just really fun that that uh season's here but uh wish you guys all the best um you know, pulling for you guys. Thanks for all the support on the the podcast and social media and things. They sure appreciate it. And um, yeah, we'll we'll get out this second part, get this finished up, and get this released to you guys. And and then I'll I'll check in with you guys next week.